0: May you be blessed by the reading of the word. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive Whatever grievances you may have against one another, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Hear the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. It's good to be here with you today. And uh, it is good to worship with you today, um, I have a I have a friend who preaches at a church in uh, you know in Indiana, and uh, he has a favorite name for the church. He calls them his family, but he calls them his forever family. And so I greet you with that today. Um, good morning, forever family. And I think we got a glimpse of that a little bit this morning, um, just in our worship and and. Uh, Guys, I I cannot tell you um how meaningful worship was this morning. Uh I just I thank you um for and I and I thank you again for just this being people who um who just open wide the floodgates, you know, open the doors to the throne room of God and get out of the way and let us enter into his presence. Thank you for that so much. And I hope that it gives us a glimpse not just of what is going on in our lives now but what will continue to go on in our lives throughout eternity. Because when we worship, we get a glimpse of that reality that Daniel was talking about last week. We get a glimpse of this fact that we live partially in this world and partially in another. And we live in that tension of what is and what will be. And that shouldn't bring us that should not bring us, I mean, that should bring us a sense of of, we're not quite there yet. It should bring us a sense of anticipation, but it should also bring us a sense of great joy because we get to experience glimpses of what will be right now. And I love that. And I thank you guys for helping be a part of that and leading us into that, into that reality, reminding us of who we are and of whose we are. Jesus tells a story, um, it's in Matthew and it's in Luke, about a king who was throwing a wedding celebration and it was greater and more extravagant than any had ever been before or since. And yet when it came time to invite all of the guests, uh, they either refused to come or they just outright acted violently and mistreated the king's emissaries. And you would think the king would be disgraced. You would think the king would cancel the party, but that's not what the king does. Instead, the king does the outrageous, the extraordinary. He sends his messengers out into the streets. And he begins collecting the outcasts of society, Luke says. The sick, the lame, the beggars, the blind. Those who have no business being in the presence of the king. All of these unworthy people are invited to the most lavish celebration in the world. Starving bellies get filled with rich food. Faces that are stained with tear tracks are now crinkled with laugh lines of delight. Voices that used to cry out for mercy praise the heart of the benevolent king. Beggars toss aside their rags and they walk around in wedding clothes. And they mingle in formal wear. But the parable in Matthew has a surprising twist at the end. See, as the king moves throughout this joyous, grateful crowd of people, he finds a guy that's still hanging out in his rags. And you can almost hear the scorn a little bit as well as sadness in the king's voice as he says to him, Friend, how is it that you came to be here without your wedding clothes? And the guy has nothing in response because his dress kind of says it all already. He really doesn't understand what it is that he stepped into. He really doesn't, he really doesn't get the, the, the magnificence or, or, or the extraordinary circumstances of what's actually happened to him. And, uh, and, and it, it may be ignorance or it may have been choice, but I, but I tend to even kind of think that maybe it was choice. And, and I may be condemning this guy out of hand. I mean, it's, it's, he's probably not even a real guy. You know, I mean, it's just an idea, right? But I want us to think about this. This guy who had no business being in the presence of the king is invited into the presence of the king. And given all of the king's gifts, and yet his dress kind of says, you know what, I'm not really that interested in identifying with the king. Uh, Honestly, I'm just kind of here for the buffet. And I think the message to the listener was clear then, and it could be just as clear to us now. We are those people. We are those people. We have been moved from death to life We've been moved from unworthy to worthy. We've been moved from outcast to wedding guest by a benevolent and gracious King Jesus. Would we really have the audacity to say to him by our dress? Not the clothes we wear. That's not what this sermon is about. But would we really have the audacity by our outward selves to say to him, you know, I'm really not that interested in 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 being thankful or grateful or really even identifying myself with your party. I was just here because I heard there was free food. I was just here because there was some stuff that I could take advantage of, and I took advantage of it. So thanks. Have a good party. I know that's kind of a slap in the face kind of statement, and I don't want this... I don't want this sermon to be a slap in the face. I want this sermon instead to arouse something in us, much like worship aroused something in us this morning. We have been called to something so amazing, says Paul. And as he moves through this this section in Colossians 3, he starts with therefore. And you can't do a therefore unless you've had a whole lot leading up to the therefore. Therefore. Right, And so I want to kind of remind us why we titled this series Completely Complete, where we've been so far, how we got to where we are, both both in this letter and in our lives, how did we get to this point. And I just want to remind us of a few things this morning. First is this, okay, simply put, Paul reminds us that we need to realize the fact that that God, through Christ, is the ultimate author of our existence. If you remember earlier in Colossians 1, 15 through 17, he says you know, that, that he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In essence, you know, Jesus is the one who has authored and is continuing to author everything about our existence. Who we are, why we are, and how we are is all wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ, and we cannot move away from that. Reality. And if we have that reality, then we said, along those lines, we have to realize that if there is this greater reality, our lives are not really ours to live. Our lives aren't really ours alone because they're wrapped around the person of Jesus Christ. Even as we breathe in and as we breathe out, we are doing so in relationship to Christ, whether we know it or not, whether we honor him or not, whether we accept it or not. It is. And so this message of of not just God allowing us to exist, but literally pouring the fullness of who he is into Christ that we might be reconciled to him, that we might be drawn near to God, that we might be brought in from out of the streets into the wedding feast, right? That, the joy of that, the reality of that needs to start dominating who we are. It needs to start driving why we exist, this greater purpose. And not just that, but now we have been filled, all of that fullness that God poured into Christ through the Holy Spirit. He's now poured into us. And when we took him on, when we we said, yes, I accept your lordship, I accept the fact that I exist for you, we have entered into the kind of relationship that finally completes us, that makes us full by him who fills everything. I mean, I'm using such a big language. Sometimes I even have a hard time grasping what that means. But all I, what I really come down to is those gnawing, nagging soul cravings that you and I experience in our hearts, in the deepest deep of who we are. Those things are filled now by him who fills everything in every way. But it's something that has happened and is happening, isn't it? And that's the reality that we live in, right? That was kind of the last thing that, we, that Daniel talked about with us last week is, is we live in this land in between. We live in this time in between where we have been been buried with Christ and arising anew, but it's not done yet. It is happening. He is in the process of filling us to the fullness, of making us completely complete. And we live in the reality that while we're not there yet, we still have the hope that it is happening, and it's not going to stop until God's finished everything that he has intended to do in us. And so we live in the hope Saturday that's going to turn into Resurrection Sunday in our lives, in this world, in our existence. God will complete everything that he has intended to do in Christ in you. Amen? You believe it? Therefore. Ah, therefore. Now we're here. Therefore, says Paul, We need to do something accordingly. If we believe that we live in this reality, it's time to do something about it. And in essence, he uses a visual image and basically says, well, if you believe all of these things, it's time for your outerwear to start matching your underwear, okay? Okay? It is time for your outside to start matching your inside. It is this new identity that you experience in Christ. It is time for that to not just stay inside of you. It is time for it to start bursting outside of you and begin transforming you from the inside out. And this is what he says to us. If you'll turn over with me to Colossians chapter 3. Now I got to get there because I was working with uh, Dan and Mark earlier this morning. So, got to move out of the Gospel of Mark and move over to Colossians three. Colossians three. And again, it's it's you 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 work up to it. We're going to work out of verse five, but I'm going to start reading in verse three. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God and when Christ who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in that glory. Put to death therefore whatever belongs to that earthly nature. Put to death therefore everything that died. Everything that belongs to that part that died. It's time for you to break with those things. It's time for you to take them off, he says. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is really idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. These are the things that had you alienated from God that Christ, in his fullness, overcame. So don't continue to live in them. Cut yourself off from them, right? You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Do You hear the language, you used to, you once. There's been a change. There's been a transformation. You are a different person now. That's not who you are. Daniel and I tried to talk about many, many different ways that we could work on this visual idea, and and none of them really seemed appropriate, especially after this morning. Um, but I I thought about, like wearing the same clothes all week and, you know, making an extra effort to get, like, mustard all over it or something. I, you know, I don't know. Or, or walking in in my Halloween costume to preach. I don't want to rely on gimmicks to, to purvey the truth of God, but this visual image is so pervasive. It's like, ah, if this is who you are, then these other things are so out of place because they're not really you. You know, some of you guys saw me in my Halloween costume, right? I am not going to walk in and assume that just because I wore Jedi robes on Wednesday that now all of a sudden I can move this chair with my mind. Or, you know, or again, that I could stand in those robes and look at you and be like, you don't see anything out of order. Because then you guys are going to look at me and go, um, hi. Yeah, we do. Okay, it's, it's, that's... It wouldn't make any sense, right? It makes no sense for us to portray an identity that we're not anymore. And I want us to see the way that that Paul really puts this out toward us. Because I think if if we're not careful, we just look at this passage of, okay, yeah, I got it. Right, don't do this, do that. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, don't be this, be that yes, another list of things that I'm not supposed to do and can feel guilty about when I do and all those other things that I'm supposed to do and I can feel more guilty about when I don't. That, that's, not, that's not the power of the word here. That's not what he's saying to you. What he's saying to you is, hey, you have the joy of being the outcast that was invited into the wedding feast and all that the king is saying is, are my clothes wear my dress, identify with me. And so we cast off these things, and he kind of groups them into two categories. He says, you know, we cast off these things that that are taking us away internally, these internal attitudes that divert our attention from the identity that we are now. And he says, and we also put off these things that keep us from interacting with people the way that that our king would. Do you, do you see that? It's almost as though he's outlining the attitudes that would really help us to be able to make those great commands that Jesus laid out for us, love God with everything that you have and go love people the way that you the way that God has fulfilled your deepest desires to be loved. And he says these are the things that don't match up with those commands and so take them off, you know? That's not who you are anymore. And so we get into this taking off and putting on, right? And we die and discard these rags of a dead identity. And we replace them with the radiance of Jesus' fullness in us. One of the traditions that was associated with baptism in the early church was that you came in an old set of clothes. And again, this is probably the reason why, you know, baptisms were done guy and girl separate, because what you did is when you came to be baptized, these these clothes were a symbol of your life. If you came if you were a Roman soldier, you came probably in your dress uniform. If you were a tax collector, you came in the wear the of the tax collector. If you were a teacher, you came dressed like a teacher. You came in the clothes of your old life and then you stripped them off and you came into the baptismal font with nothing but you. Right? And when you came out, you were given a new set of clothes that no one had ever worn before. And your old clothes were burned. Nobody ever wore them again. And I think of the power in that image, right? And I think of the power of of the fact that that is what God is calling us to do every day. is this daily cycle of dying and rising, of discarding and putting on. Taking off the things that don't match with his identity, putting on the things that do. And I I want us to see, I guess first and foremost, that these things are not outward acts that make us holy. Okay? Okay? We can, just, we can just skip over to the next slide, okay? I am driving her nuts as a PowerPoint person right now because I am not following my line. I know I'm not. I'm totally not, okay? Um, so it's not her, it's me, all right? And she's very gracious for dealing with me. Um, but I want us to realize that, that these are not outward acts that make you holy, okay? I cannot say that enough. Because you become a person of compassion, or because you become a person of kindness, or a person of patience, of long suffering, of a person that that bears with people in love, because you do these things, that is not what makes you holy. I think sometimes we we get it mixed up. You know, you've heard the phrase, the clothes make the man, right? That you know, that's not at all what God is describing. In fact, in fact, the opposite. The man makes the close, right? Who you are creates the attitudes and the actions that you will bring out, correct? I think it's interesting to note that in the region of Colossae, this is kind of a, a historical note for you, one of the things that was their prime export. What they really did is they made clothes. Paul's using this. They they were they were there were a lot of shepherds and they made a very very fine quality wool called Colossinus. Hey, who'd have thought? It's from Colossae, right? And and that was kind of their pride. It, it was it was like. Uh, Know. Oh, I mean, in, in Indiana, everybody was like, yeah, we're one of the biggest corn producers in the world. We make good corn, you know, or whatever. Or, or, you know, you know that apples come from Washington, you know, when you're in the States. I mean, that's, you know, the Washington apples or Idaho potatoes or whatever. They, they're, what they produce was part of who they are. And Paul is playing on this idea with, with, uh, with the Colossian churches. He's saying, look, what you produce, these these attitudes that come out of you, just like this, this fine clothing that you create, you don't create rags. You create the finest wool in the empire. Why? Because that's who you are. And he says, spiritually, you don't produce rags. You produce the finery of the king because that's who you are now. And so, in the same way, now that their identity is in Christ, they would want to produce life according to who they are, the virtues of Christ's fullness. And that's the same message to us today. We want to produce out of who we are. And this you know, this really goes this really goes against, this really strikes to the heart of what Paul was trying to preach against, the the danger that this church or these churches in Colossae were in danger of accepting this, this teaching that basically said your body and your spirit are two different things. And the actions of your body have nothing to do with your inner self and your inner beliefs. This is material, this is spiritual, and what happens in the spiritual realm and what happens in the material realm, well, they don't intersect at all. So if you, if you want to... You know, do whatever with your body. You know what? That's just your body. That's not who you really are. That's not what your beliefs are. That's not what your life really is. It's just your body. It's just your actions. It's just what you do. Does that sound familiar? Do we live in a modern-day Colossae? Where people say, you know what? I can totally believe this, and then I can totally do that, and it's okay. Okay? I can believe all this about God, and then I can just kind of go act however I want to act. And that's just, I mean, that's just my body. That's just, that's my daily life. That's not my spiritual life. Do you hear that language? You know what? I hear that language. I hear that language coming out of me sometimes. And Paul says, no, 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 no. (laughs) Realize. Our inside and our outside our spirit, and our flesh. Oh, man, what we experience inside changes who we are outside. It has to. And we finally move into an identity that really knows how to live when we decide to become partners in the resurrection that God is bringing out in each of us. Each action of compassion, each action of kindness, of humility, of gentleness, of patience, or forgiveness is like displaying the colors of our allegiance and our heritage. We do what we do out of who we are. We act how we act out of what we believe. And you can't separate those things. There's another story that involves Jesus about dress. And this one comes from John chapter 13. And I love how it starts because it says Jesus pretty much knew everything that was going to happen to him. He's at the the Last Supper with the disciples. And he pretty much knows everything that's going to happen and he pretty much knows exactly who he is and where he's going and what is about to happen and he knows what the finish is. He knows the end of the story. And so It says, because he was complete in who he was. He was complete in his identity. He was complete in his vision. And he was complete in God giving everything to him. It says, you know, Jesus knew that everything was in his power now. He showed his disciples the full extent of his love. And he takes off the robes of the teacher. The robes of authority. The robes that say, I'm a rabbi and I have students. And he basically gets down to his underwear and wraps a servant towel around his waist. And he begins to wash dirty feet. He binds the servant love around himself. And he washes his feet. And I can't help but think that Paul is thinking of this image when he says, and over all of this, bind love around yourself. That takes all of these things and brings them together in perfect unity, in perfect harmony. It's such an interesting contrast, right? The king who is willing to take off his robes and put on the rags, and the wedding guest who can't take off his rags to put on the robes. But that's really the question that we're left with, isn't it? Is is who will we be? And and again, I, I come back to this guy, this this theoretical imaginary guy at the wedding banquet. And and the thing that I'm always drawn to is that his greatest failing, again, was lack of understanding the scope of what was really happening around him. The significance of the invitation in light of his unworthiness. The lavish gifts in light of his poverty. The celebration in light of his previous hopelessness. All of these things are laid out before him, Right? And the king says to him, honor me by identifying with the greatness of all this. Honor me by identifying with me in how you conduct yourself. And as marvelous and as incomparable as it all was, he chose to treat it like it was commonplace. How many times have I done the same thing? How many times have I accepted this astounding event of participating in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ as something ordinary instead of something fantastic? How many times have I treated this process of Jesus pouring his fullness into me? Instead of seeing it as something that is absolutely incomparable, I see it as something average. I say, oh yeah, of course. I have the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What about it, forever family? Do we see this relationship of redemption in our Savior through the lens of apathy or the lens of passion? Paul says the answer is in how we let it renovate our desires, our behaviors, and our actions. May we be convicted to accept the dress of the king today, to clothe ourselves with the love and the virtue that he has poured so fully into us. Worship team, if you'll come up while we pray. Oh, Father, how excellent and how amazing you are. That you would allow your son to do all of this. That you, would, that you would give all of your fullness to your son so that he could do this for me. So that he could do this for us. So that he could do this for a world that didn't even recognize him. How incredible. And God, we're humbled So very humbled by the fact that you have taken us outcasts and invited us into your wedding feast that will never end. Your wedding feast that joins us to you for eternity. And God, sear our hearts with the reality of that it is time for us to live out of the blessing that you have received, that you have already bestowed on us. Help us to change our actions to match the allegiance of who we are now. Help us to embrace that identity of the fullness of your Son living in us, the fact that you are transforming us daily into your image. Oh God, please help our outsides to match our insides, and help us not to be discouraged when they don't match. But help us to have the hope that you are not done with us yet. And help us to have the resolve to say, I will continue to remember who I am and whose I am now. And I will live like it. Help us as we daily try to cast off those things that are not of you and discard the filthy rags of a life before you and embrace the robes of celebration and joy and life in who you are and who you are creating us to be daily. In your holy and precious name we lift this prayer. Amen.